on today's episode of the Locked on Diebacks podcast. With the D-backs coming off the World Series appearance and one of the best young cores in the sport, are they finally turning into a premier free agent destination? You are Locked on Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're listening to who? Always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, millerthomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work, from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get started. I'm the host of this wonderful podcast, as I said earlier. And if you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CareerThomas24 for my personal account or look up Locked on Dimebacks, both Twitter, Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks a first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms, so please continue to tell your friends. But on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about should the D-backs turn their extra outfielders into trade chips? The all-MLB teams were announced. We'll talk about the D-backs, getting a couple of their guys on that team, and also what it can mean for the D-backs moving forward, having so much talent. But before we get into that, I first want to talk about the idea of the D-backs turning to a free agent destination and being one of the most attractive markets in the sport right now because with the D-backs coming off the World Series appearance, with this growing young nucleus that they have, this D-backs team should be a primary destination that free agents want to go to. And I think with what they're doing and handling this offseason, I think that they're showing other free agents that we are a team committed to winning and we are a team that's serious about growing something here in Arizona. And so I just think that they have a fantastic pitch to these free agents to come to Arizona and let's build something together. The D-backs, they play in a great market. Arizona, quietly one of the biggest markets in the country from a media standpoint. We're close to LA. We're close to Vegas. We're even close to Mexico. If you want to get another country involved with some revenue, a growing community in terms of the state itself, Arizona. I don't know if you know this. Inflation is getting, if you live in Arizona, you know, inflation is getting crazy out here. The market prices are getting crazy out here. There's always apartments, more stores being built. And then also, the team is also growing, right? So you got the market from Arizona, you got the the community from Arizona, and then you also got the on-field product with this really young team, this really young core made up of a whole bunch of dudes who are in their mid-20s from the Fots to the Thomases, the Morenos, the Carols, the Perdomos, the McCarthys. Like, this is such a young team, and this should be a place where free agents should want to gravitate to. I think we're seeing that a little bit this offseason, but I think over the next couple offseasons, it's really going to be a telltale sign of 
how free agents view Arizona. And I think we're already starting to see a good indication that free agents do view the D-backs pretty favorably, which probably hasn't always been the case. But when you come off a World Series appearance and your message all offseason has been we're committed to spending money, it's going to be a little bit easier to get some free agents in your building. Now, even with the D-backs commitment to spending more money, and it feels like the D-backs are going to be a more serious suitor going forward over the next few offseasons, I still think they're probably going to be out on those big, big ticket free agents like the Otanis of the world, like the D-backs. They can get in a bidding war and win a bidding war because we've seen them do it with Zach Greinke back in the day, and we thought that was insane when the D-backs gave him $200 million. I can't see the D-backs getting in a bidding war like $700 million that we just saw for Shohei Otani. Aaron Judge, I don't think the D-backs would have gone in a $400, $500 million bidding war for Aaron Judge either. But players right below that tier, like if they really felt like Cody Bellinger entering this offseason was their number one target. I think that's someone they could have dropped a pretty hefty bag on if they really wanted to. Even a guy like Yamamoto. I think that's someone they could have won the bidding war with if if that was like their number one, number one target. They thought that was the best course of action. If they felt like they needed that guy, I think the D-backs could have been in on players like that. But that's like the most expensive probably. And even that, a guy like Yamamoto might be too expensive as well. But anyone like outside of that top, top legendary tier one status, I think the D-backs could be in a bidding war for almost any free agent um, moving forward outside those Otanis and Judges of the world. And the D-backs probably should be if they want to have this commitment to winning and stay winning. If you want to build a sustainable winner, you need elite talent. I think the D-backs are going to continue to go after those really good free agents over the next couple off-seasons. And your pitch is a little bit easier if you're the D-backs to these free agents when you are a team coming off the World Series appearance because back when you won that bidding war for Zach Greinke, you were a team that was desperate. You were a team that was just throwing money out there because it's been a few years since you made it to the postseason. You thought your team was good, but you needed a few more pieces to get you over the top. You thought Zach Greinke would be that guy to get you to that next ring of playoff contender. And it wasn't true, and that wasn't the case, and that didn't happen. And in the end, the D-backs ended up trading Zach Greinke for a whole bunch of random pieces. And at the time, we liked to trade a lot, right? But J.B. Braskakis, Corbin Martin, Seth Beer, and unfortunately, even Joshua Haas, all off the D-backs. They're all somewhere else, or even if they are in the D-backs organization, because one of them still might be, none of them are going to have a long-term future with the Arizona Diamondbacks at the end of the day. So... That was a waste of a trade, and that didn't help the D-backs get out of mediocrity at all. But now, the D-backs are coming off a World Series appearance with a young roster on the rise, and we automatically feel like a way sexier option than what we were back in 2016, 2017, when we were making these pitches. We actually have a young core, great uh, cap, money, flexibility, like all green flags for the D-backs right now when they make these pitches to these free agents. I think it's a big reason why we saw Eduardo Rodriguez choose the D-backs essentially over the Dodgers because he could have been traded to the Dodgers at the deadline last year. He refused, and now he just signed with the Arizona Diamondbacks after opting out of a deal with the Detroit Tigers. Yeah, Erod chose the D-backs over the Dodgers. In a vacuum, that's what I'm going to tell people, even though that's not actually a hundred percent accurate and with the culture that the d-backs are building right now on the field 
and also the culture that they're building off the field too. I mean, I don't understand why other free agents wouldn't want to come here. Like when you look at the on the field product from the young core, like I mentioned, but also like Tori Lavello, like what he does for his players, right? I, I, you know, I've questioned the X's and O's from Tori, but <laughs> I would definitely play for Tori. Wears his heart on his sleeve, emotional guy. I know he gives a damn about the team and about winning. And I, he's not afraid to call out media in his press conferences. Like, Tory's definitely a guy that I would want to play for. And I think Tory's kind of a good selling. Uh, I think he's a good seller. Or I think he's a good salesman for the Coyotes as well. Like, Tory in a pitch meeting? Like, I'm not mad at that. Um, <laughs> there's not many managers in baseball that I think could get his team more fired up. Or get his team to actually... Like, there's not a lot of managers that can actually pick up the spirits of their team and actually motivate them. A lot of these players are self-motivated or the manager's there and they're tuning them out. Yeah, they listen to, you know, oh, go steal that base. Oh, pitcher, come here, make this kind of pitch. Yeah, they listen to all that. But in terms of listening to your manager to add that that spark, to add that fire in your belly, I don't think most players listen to their managers or most managers can't extract that out of their players. I think Tori Lavelle is different. I think he can light that spark under one of his players. Or I think because of the way he gets so emotional in those press conferences, I think it rubs off on his players. So, Tori Lovello, great pitch man for the D-backs. He's really good. So, the D-backs have so many things working for them. The young core, the the cap, payroll, flexibility, the manager, the players. All that's very important. All those variables matter for when making pitches uh, to these free agents. But the most important thing at the end of the day, if you want to continue to bring in top-level top level free agents to Arizona, the most important thing is winning. With the additions to the team this year, this offseason, this D-backs team should be able to, to uh, build a sustainable winner for at least the next few seasons, should at least have a postseason contender. And as long as they have what people would view consensus as a postseason contender over the next few seasons, that's going to keep you in the mix for mostly, if not all, of these free agents. At the end of the day, athletes are competitive, and they do want to win, and they also want their money. And as long as the D-backs can give these players the contracts that they want and also give them an opportunity to win on a big stage as well, the D-backs are going to be in the mix for a whole lot of free agents going forward. I mean, just think about how good their cap flexibility is over the next few seasons and how they're still able to add way more talent if they want over the next couple of years via free agency, via the trade market, because a guy like Corbin Carroll, he's making like under $50 million over the next five seasons, which is, in, which is crazy. He's already a top five MVP vote, get, uh, MVP vote getter. He's already first team all MLB, like Carroll, superstar stud, locked in, $50 million under... Under $50 million over the next five years, incredible deal for him. Quetzal Marte, he's locked up for like four more years on a contract that gets cheaper as the year goes on, as the years go on. So it's like you look at all these deals, there's not really any long-term salaries for the D-backs. And the long-term salaries that they do have, all on super, excuse me, reasonable prices. So the D-backs, in theory, they should always be flexible enough to spend more money over the next few off seasons, or basically make any trade that they want with the money available or with the trade assets that they have because they still do have a lot of young talent as well. So 
for the D-backs, winning is always the most important thing when you're making pitches to free agents. And I think the winning part shouldn't be an issue for at least the next couple of seasons. The other really important thing for the D-backs so they can continue to be a free agent destination is you can't go back to being cheap. I've already said this a few times. The number one thing that free agents care about is winning because these are athletes and they are competitive. The second thing is money. Most, as I always say in Major League Baseball, when it comes because of the no luxury tax, I think any small market team can go out there and get a tier one superstar if they're willing to just write them a blank check. I think that's a beautiful thing about baseball. Yes, the Dodgers can give Otani $700 million, but we saw the Minnesota Twins give Carlos Correa $300 million, and the D-backs give Granke $200 million. Maybe you don't hand out deals like that, but the D-backs still have to go out there and spend money, still have to give out contracts that players want like they weren't afraid to give Erod 20 million I thought Lord's Gurriel 14 million was very reasonable as well D-backs can't all of a sudden if they struggle next year because of injuries or whatever the reason is after one year you can't just be like oh let's just revert back to our ways stop spending money start selling off some pieces here and there like the D-backs need to make sure Ken Kendrick stays committed to spending money on this team, stays committed to putting the best product on the field as possible, because as long as the D-backs continue to do that, free agents should continue to come to Arizona. And if you want to keep attracting those good players, then you have to keep winning and you have to keep staying out of your own way if you're the Arizona Diamondbacks. Now we'll talk about all the legit and elite talent that the D-backs have on their roster because a couple of dudes was named to the all-MLB team. So we'll talk about how the loaded Arizona Diamondbacks with all their talent, what it could mean for them moving forward. But before we get there, if you think the D-backs are so talented that they can win the World Series in 2024, then why not go to FanDuel Sportsbook and place a little futures bet because score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash and kick off the NFL season. My favorite thing to do is the same game parlay. Whenever the Lakers are playing a 500 team or worse, 80 over in points, 80 over in rebounds, and take the Lakers money line. It's Wednesday. They're playing the Bulls. So hopefully you guys locked in those bets. So visit FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Let's get back into the Locked on Dimebacks podcast, and let's talk about the all-MLB teams and if the D-backs are actually finally loaded with legit talent because with the all-MLB teams announced, we saw two D-backs named to the first team all-MLB. Two D-backs in the whole sport. First team all-MLB. The D-backs have two guys who you can, who you can consider. I mean, if you're starting a lineup... These guys would be drafted to be 
on their starting lineup in the starting rotation because Zach Gallen, Corbin Carroll were the two guys that were named. And both of them, first-time selections, of course. Zach Gallen has been a Cy Young candidate for a few seasons now, been one of the best pitchers in baseball for quite some time now. So great to see him get some recognition recognition from, um, I guess, the fans and the BBWAA. I don't know who votes on these things. But thank you to anyone who voted to get th- uh, those two guys some recognition. Um, Corbin Carroll, of course, first-year rookie. He got some love. We like to see the all-MLB team for Corbin Carroll. D-backs actually have all-world talent in their building for the first time in a very long time. Yes, they've had the Paul Goldschmidt and the Zach Grinkies of the world on this team before, but for the first time in a long time, this D-backs team feels stacked with talent, and it feels, in terms of their own franchise history, and if they add you know, one of those DHs like we've talked about, they will have one of the most stacked deep lineups in all of baseball. And they currently do have one of the best one through four rotations in all of baseball too. So I do think the D-backs are like one more hitter away from saying they have one of the most complete rosters in Major League Baseball. And once we make that move, this will actually be one of the best D-backs teams that we've ever put out um, on paper at least. All MLB, the all MLB team is pretty new, started back in 2019. And 2019 was the last year we saw an Arizona Dimeback get named to the all MLB team. And that player was Zach Greinke. And it was only a half season of Zach Greinke because he was traded to the Houston Astros that year. So we didn't even have a full season of our own Arizona Dimeback to make it to the all MLB team. And thankfully, Gallon and Carroll were both named to the All-MLB team, which I think kind of shows you the ceiling of what this D-backs team could be because we just saw the best case scenario for every D-backs player essentially this past year, and it led to a World Series appearance, right? In the postseason, you got almost the best case scenario from every player. Corbin Carroll was going off those first couple rounds. I mean, Ketel Marte didn't not get a hit until what, like game four, the World Series or something. Uh, Christian Walker, he got cold, but a guy like Alec Thomas heated up, a guy like Gabriel Moreno heated up. Like a lot of the D-backs players got better in the postseason, right? Brandon Fock got better. Uh, Merrill Kelly was dominant. So it's like we, we kind of saw the best case scenario from every D-backs player once we entered uh, the playoffs. And when you got the best case scenario from each player, it ended up being a World Series appearance. So we know when the D-backs actually hit their ceiling as a team, their ceiling is maybe the best team in the sport, right? And so I think the All-MLB team just shows you and just further illustrates actually how much talent this D-backs team has and how it's actually kind of a possibility that they could get back to the World Series again next year. Like we keep talking on this podcast about how we want the D-backs to be the mid-2010 Kansas City Royals, right? 2014, you exceed expectations, you go to the World Series, you lose, but then 2015, you come back with a vengeance and you win the whole damn thing. That's what we hope the D-backs do next year. When you compare them to the LA Dodgers, the Dodgers only had two all-MLB players as well. Mookie Betts and uh, Freddie Freeman, I think. And so the D-backs, in terms of all MLB talent, they have as much as the LA Dodgers, which feels crazy. And Corbin Carroll, he took that first team spot from Aaron Judge. Am I going to start saying Corbin Carroll is better than Aaron Judge? Not yet, but could it be possible, you know, a year or two from now? 
Yeah, it could be. Is Aaron Judge still a monster? Is he still going to have 1,000 OPS and 50 home runs? Probably. But if Carroll has a 900 OPS, 35 home runs, and 60, 70 stolen bases, and basically has a Ronald Acuna year, who are you going to say is better? Real question mark. I think there's also a few D-backs that could be all MLB players moving forward. I think there's at least three players that definitely come to mind. Ketel Marte. We've seen Ketel Marte look like the best second baseman in baseball before. And last year, monster bounce back season for him. His competition, Altuve, Albies, and Marcus Simeon. But when Ketel is at his best, he's as good as any of them. Merrill Kelly is another guy. Still super underrated in my eyes in Major League Baseball, but he should have a lot more clout entering this season after that magical postseason run. I mean, that Game 2 performance against the Texas Rangers, ingrained in my mind, I won't ever forget it. You could have you even made the argument from start to finish this past year, Merrill Kelly was better than Zach Gallen. So maybe, maybe Merrill Kelly should have gotten an all-MLB a nod over Gallon. Maybe, maybe not. But what should have happened is Gallon and Merrill Kelly should have both been all MLB. Gallon should have been first team. Kelly should have been second team because somehow the Texas Rangers got both Nathan Navaldi and Jordan Montgomery on their all MLB second team. And I agree, Jordan Montgomery should be. But Nate Navaldi had like a 3-6-3 ERA in the regular season. Merrill Kelly crushed him in terms of numbers in the regular season. So it should have been Gallon and Kelly to the all MLB team, but maybe next year they'll be the two teammates in the rotation that get the love. And then lastly, Gabriel Moreno. I'm not saying his chances are super high. It's more about I'm looking at the field. First team all MLB was Adley Rushman. He's definitely a stud. But second team, Jonah Heim. Do I believe the best version of Gabriel Moreno is better than the season Jonah Heim just had? I definitely think it's in the realm of possibilities. Um, I have less confidence in a Moreno making it to the all MLB team as opposed to the other two, but that's just because he hasn't done it yet. He hasn't hit the ceiling. He hasn't shown his full potential. We know Ketel Marte at his best MVP candidate. We know Merrill Kelly at his best Cy Young candidate. We haven't yet seen it for Gabriel Moreno, but I don't think it's out the range of possibilities. Add J.D. Martinez or Jorge Soler to this team, and it's truly one of the deepest lineups in baseball, like I said. And it's actually so deep that I want to talk about potential trade chips in segment number three. But before we get there, did you know Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube? Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast. Don't forget, if you like the show, follow me on Twitter at CareerThomas24 for my personal account or look up Locked On Diamondbacks both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. But now, let's get back into the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast and discuss if they should use their outfield as trade chips. It's kind of a discussion we've had a couple times on this podcast, but want to re-bring it back up with the 
News that the D-backs have re-signed Lords Guriel. Because now that they have Lords Guriel, you have Guriel. This is their outfield. You have Guriel, Carroll, Thomas. Feels like you're one, two, three, right? Guriel left, Carroll right, Thomas center. Then you got Jake McCarthy. Then you got Dominic Fletcher. So that's five outfielders right now. And who knows? Might even have an outfielder or two in the minor leagues and AAA that, are, that is ready to play as well. So my question is, should the D-backs dangle their outfielders once again as trade bait, like kind of like what they were doing last year? Because if you guys remember last year, the offseason talk was, which of these D-backs outfielders are going to get moved? They're going to trade Dalton Varsho. They're going to trade Jake McCarthy. Or they're going to trade Alec Thomas. Because last year in the offseason, their value were was all pretty high. Thomas probably had the lowest value um, after last offseason because Jake McCarthy was coming off that breakout season with nearly 30 stolen bases and a really good uh, batting average. Dalton Varsho, um, continued power, speed, and the best defense in the sport. Then Alec Thomas struggled, but rookie season, and it was still a highly heralded prospect that you could at least, you know, convince yourself that if you get him in the building, maybe we could develop him. But as it currently stands, that's not the case. So I want to ask the audience, do we think the value is good enough to dangle those players as trade bait right now? Because my answer is, yes, they should be dangled as trade bait, but I think they will have more value in the regular season and we should potentially wait to trade them. Jake McCarthy, his bat fell off a cliff this past season he needs to get back to those 2022 numbers before they could get real value for Jake McCarthy. He couldn't hit off-speed pitches this past year after crushing it in 2022, and he didn't do damage against righties. Jake McCarthy is going to be a platoon player for the D-backs going into this season. <coughs> Excuse me. And if he can't crush right-handed pitching as a lefty bat, that's going to be a problem for him. He's not going to get as many opportunities as he would like. And maybe the D-backs stop giving him opportunities if he can't come through and capitalize in those platoon situations, which is a pretty big deal for Tori Lovello. So, Jakey Wakey, I love him, but he needs to get better offensively. The speed is still a weapon, but he needs to get better offensively and build that resume back up before the D-backs think about trading him away. Uh, Thomas, he's another guy. He probably has a little bit more value than Jake McCarthy just because of that elite, sweet glove that he has. Honestly, the best defensive center fielder in my eyes in Major League Baseball, full bias. And the clutchness he displayed in the postseason, let's not forget about that either. I was at that NLCS game. I think it was, I think it was game four, maybe game three. Don't remember off the top of my head because I went to too many D-backs postseason games, but the Alec Thomas pinch hit home run into the pool, I was like 20 feet away from that play in right field. I think you could even see me on the replay on the highlight of that ball going bananas. I ended up going to, what, one NLCS game and two World Series games? I had a great postseason run. I just had to brag a little bit. I'm sorry. But Thomas, I think he has a little bit more value because of that clutchness and glove. But he's still, like Jake McCarthy, another offensive work in progress. Thomas saw the fastball very well this past season. But breaking off speed pitches, not so much. The hard contact stats, they did improve. I like to see that. The exit velo is actually solid for Alec Thomas. The hard contact, or excuse me, the hard hit percentage, solid too. Like The hard contact stats tell you 
Jay, uh, excuse me, the hard contact stats tell you Alec Thomas is just fine from a power standpoint. Jake McCarthy is the guy we have to worry about a little bit more from that power standpoint. But Thomas, fine. He's like average major leaguer in terms of his hard contact stats. Maybe those can improve a little bit more so we could get a little bit more pop out of that bat because we didn't see any pop in the regular season. Then he got to the postseason and started turning into lefty Barry Bonds. So hopefully we can see a little bit more pop out that bat for Thomas in the regular season. And the other big issue for Thomas, he was fine against righties, so very Jake McCarthy-ish against righties in the platoon situations, but absolutely unplayable against lefties. He has to even that out. Jake McCarthy didn't crush righties, but he also like put up the same stat line against lefties. Like he against righties or lefties, Jake McCarthy was like the same guy. For Alec Thomas, he was basically Jake McCarthy against righties and then I don't know, a single A player against lefties. Like his numbers were bad against lefties and Thomas needs to take another step forward before the D-backs decide to trade him. And then Dominic Fletcher, I mean, his value actually might be the highest right now if the D-backs try to trade him. I don't know if they I don't know if they're looking for any deals for him right now, but if they did, now might be the time because of that small sample size where he crushed it for the D-backs uh where he crushed it for the D-backs last year, that might help his value the most right now as opposed to a Thomas or Jake McCarthy who just struggled big time in 2023. But overall, I think the D-backs are going to wait until the MLB trade deadline before they trade or think about trading any of these outfielders. I think the D-backs seem pretty content with their top four right now in the rotation. I think it would be tough to acquire someone that can be better than a Brandon Fott in your rotation um, without giving up Thomas and pieces like I don't think you could trade Thomas or Jake McCarthy for a starter that's better than Brandon Fott right now without giving up Thomas or Jake McCarthy plus other stuff last year we thought maybe like Alec Thomas for Jesus Lazardo was a reasonable deal but now that feels like it would be a fleece by the Marlins or excuse me a fleece by the D-backs I don't think the D-backs get back Lozardo for Thomas. I think Lozardo's way too valuable right now. I mean, if, if that deal's still on the table, the D-backs would have to jump on that. But I think you have to get to the deadline. And if you're the D-backs and you think you need a rotation or a bullpen guy or another outfielder or whatever, maybe you want to upgrade the outfield, then I think the D-backs can move one of their extra outfielders to upgrade the team. I think doing it in the offseason right now is not that smart. And also, once you get in the regular season, there's injuries, teams get desperate, a team might need more defensive help, whatever the reason is. Maybe a team's slow, they want to bring in some speed. Then I think it would be I think it would be easier and make more sense to find a trade partner once you get to the regular season and as you approach the MLB trade deadline. I think if the D-backs traded an outfielder right now in the offseason, it would have to be an incoming player that they really, really like. Even if McCarthy and Thomas struggles, uh, in the regular season, I still don't think Mike Hazen would trade them for the sake of trading them. I don't think he would do that in the offseason. I don't think he would do that in the regular season. I think the D-backs front office does value McCarthy and Thomas. I think they love the Thomas glove. I think they love the McCarthy speed. Both of them are still valuable assets. 
Both of them still have skills that can be used by the D-backs. So if either one of them gets moved, I think the D-backs would really have to like the player and think that the player can immediately help the team. They wouldn't trade either of those guys for younger options just to go right back into the minor league system. I don't think the front office for the D-backs would do that. I think it's all win-now moves for the D-backs. If you saw a D-backs outfielder get moved or traded, I think it would be for a win-now player that could help out this current D-back situation. But would I trade Jake McCarthy, Thomas, Fletcher, or anybody during the offseason? No. I think their value is not high enough right now. I think it would make a lot more sense for the D-backs to wait until at least the regular season before they decide to trade one of their extra outfielders. Now that's it for this edition of the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. Come back Friday for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. And as always, stay safe. Stay healthy, Elsas.